You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Yanks get one on the board. They lead the Tigers 1-0, bottom of the fifth inning in Detroit. Luis Severino, second straight strong start. Not exactly pitching against a murderer's row. Yankees got their run in the top of the fifth inning on an RBI double by Glaber Torres. But Severino is through four and two-thirds shutout innings. He struck out five against the Tigers, who are 59-71, and 71, nipping at the heels of the New York Yankees, who come in 62 and 68. Yankees, I mean, can they can they win this series? This is a four-game series, so it's you got to win three games to win this series. But still, they've won one series since the month of June ended, and it was that series about a month ago, maybe a little bit more at this point, in that weekend series at home against the Kansas City Royals, who are the second-worst team in all of baseball. The Yankees, as we have said, and we're, we're in the last days, and I'm primarily talking about this because of what happened yesterday with the benches clearing a couple of times against Tampa Bay and where that quote-unquote divisional rivalry stands between the Yankees and the Rays. You know, the, the Yankees, this is – it's an embarrassing time for them. They have slipped into irrelevancy. We know that. They did that about two weeks ago when they dipped below 500 and it became clear that they – are not going to make the playoffs. And it's also becoming increasingly clear, now six games below five hundred, that their 30-year streak of not having a losing record is going to come to an end. But now they're, they're becoming a punchline. And case in point, you know, Brandon Lau, nice player for the Tampa Bay Rays, asked about the benches clearing a couple of times yesterday, and tempers often flare between the Yankees and the Rays. The managers don't seem to like each other. I think the Rays have a terrific manager in Kevin Cash. He always seems to be, even in better times for the Yankees, Cash always seems to be one step ahead of Aaron Boone. What's that? Sorry, Joe, I thought you were saying something. We do have Lau's comments if you would like to, uh, to oh, hear we do. those. Yeah, let, 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 let's let Brandon Lau tell it himself. Obviously, tempers flare. The the history that we do have with the Yankees, everything that's kind of come through, obviously probably does play a part in it. But looking at it, it's a, it's a last place team against a team that's in contention. Not worth our time at this moment. You know, we're we're focused on bigger things right now than worrying about a, a little on field scuffle. You know, we need each game. They're they're not really in each game. That's I mean that's wild, and it's a hundred percent true. I mean the Yankees have become a punchline. The only thing worse than being irrelevant, which the Yankees are is becoming a punchline, and they're a punchline to the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, that is just such an incredible turn of events. You talk about, you know, fighting dirty with words if you're Brandon Lau. I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays payroll, I'm just trying to do some quick math on the top of my head, but the Yankees are paying more money to Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, Josh Donaldson, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa than the entire payroll of the Tampa Bay Rays. Think about that. I mean, I didn't even mention Cole, who's been worth the money. I didn't even mention Stanton, who hasn't, LeMahieu, who hasn't, Rizzo, who hasn't, and on and on and on and on. By the way, I also mentioned a guy who's no longer playing for the team in Aaron Hicks. And the Yankees have been to quote Lau, relegated to a last-place team that has nothing to play for, and we've got more important things to worry about. But here's the thing that concerns you about the Yankees. The more 
that we get removed from rock bottom. And I guess rock bottom, unless something else happens, rock bottom is probably the nine-game losing streak. Their longest losing streak since 1982. They narrowly avoided their first 10-game losing streak since 1913. Thanks to Luis Severino, by the way. The more that we get removed from rock bottom, the more I just have the feeling. I'm, I'm almost accepting of the fact that Brian Cashman's going to be back next year as the general manager. And now there is a feeling that I have that Aaron Boone might even be back. Stanton's going to be back. Rizzo's going to be back. Um, LeMahieu's going to be back. I mean, those guys have to be back because they're under contracts and you can't really get off of those contracts easily in baseball. But if you're going to run it back with Cashman Boone, all the players who are still under contract, the only way that you can show that you are really, really serious about contending for championships, which has always been the Yankees' mission, is to spend a boatload of money on top of the boatload of money you're already spending to try to enhance this team. Because just running it back with what you have, you're going to have the exact same season you're having this year. Because I'm sorry, which of these young players, and you want to get a longer look at the Everson Pereiras and, um, well, he's really the one. Jason Dominguez sounds like he's not far away. Spencer Jones just got promoted. Recent first-round draft pick for the Yankees, another six foot six inch outfielder. But he's not going to be up this year. But what are we looking at as far as, like, prospects go? This isn't 2017 when you have Gary Sanchez slugging 20 home runs in 54 games and Aaron Judge in his first major league at bat hitting a ball off of the Pepsi Lounge, the batter's eye, in deep center field. And Luis Severino coming up and uh, throwing lightning. This they, You don't have anything like that this year. There's nothing to hang your hat on. There's nothing to look forward to. I mean, how many guys... Joe, you're a Yankees fan. How many guys in the Yankees lineup this year would you want in the lineup next year? Judge? One. Torres? Two. Volpe? Three. LeMahieu? Yeah, I mean, if you can get anything for LeMahieu... In the offseason, I wouldn't mind seeing him go. But yeah, I don't think you can. But do you want do you want Stanton back? No. Do you want Rizzo back? Yes, I do want Rizzo back because I want to see if that's if it was the concussion or if it was him actually declining. Because I mean, the answer's not really resolved at this point. My feeling on Rizzo is this. Rizzo was available two years ago for a reason. That whole 2016 Cubs group... They all declined. I mean, that wasn't that long ago that they won the World Series. And now they've since broken down and rebuilt themselves back into a playoff contender. But that whole group declined so rapidly. Rizzo has never been the same player. Javi Baez, he's playing in this game, by the way, for the Tigers. He's batting eighth for, like, the third worst team in the American League and batting two twenty two. Chris Bryant... Signed a big contract with Colorado. He's never been the same player since his MVP season that year, and he's playing in obscurity out in Colorado. And Addison Russell, he's not even in baseball, is he? 
He had the off-field problems, so I, I don't no, think— No, he's not currently yeah, on a major I, league roster. No, I don't think he's in baseball anymore either. So there you go. There's that vaunted infield. They were all in the All-Star game together one year. But pertaining to Rizzo, Rizzo hasn't been that good for a while. So I don't know. That, that to me, if the concussion is something that he suffered this year— and yes, he was off to a good start this year, but he wasn't great last year. Low average, a lot of home runs— when the Yankees got him two years ago, he was fine. You know, they could they probably would have been the same offensively if they had kept Luke Voigt that year instead of Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo's not that good anymore. That's just my take on Rizzo. Are we 100% certain about that, though? No, of course I'm not 100% certain. I haven't examined him, but I've been watching him for the last four years. Is this a, Does he seem like the player to you who was the first baseman for the 2016 Cubs? No, and... I mean, I said this at the time, but I would have rather had Freeman in that situation oh. than than Rizzo. And I love Rizzo, and I've loved every moment that he's been a, a Yankee. But given the two, I would have rather had Freeman, which we could have given him the same contract that we gave Carlos Rodon. Well, that's the thing about even more. the Freeman contract, six years, $27 million a year, and he's in year two of that. And that'll pay him through the age of 37. That's um, probably the waters that Pete Alonzo wants to swim in in the offseason. Or, excuse me, next offseason. <clears throat> Something in my throat, pardon me, when he goes on the free agent market. But for Pete Alonzo, you know what? <laughs> I got a little something in my throat. We'll take a break, <laughs> and we're right back on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Is this Liza? Yeah, you got that right. So do they still do the thing where when they win, it's Frank, and when they lose, it's Liza? They don't still do that, do they? No, they haven't done that in a long time. They did that at one point in time, didn't they? They do. They Or they did. They did. I want to say... I don't think it made its way across the street to the new stadium. I think you might be right. Now, this is probably before your time, but um, Buck, and, and it's funny because we've been talking a lot about 92, the last time they had a losing season. But in 92, I'm almost positive this was the year. They were they were pretty good. I have to look up their record. But they had been the worst team in baseball, like not even 70 wins. And then 92, Buck came. Buck Showalter took over as manager, brought a certain amount of professionalism, and they at least just started playing representative baseball. And after every game that year, it was either before, it was probably after they played Frank Sinatra, but they would play after they won. We're not going to take it anymore. What is that? Twisted Sister, I think. Yes. They played that. And I thought that was great. And it was almost like they were, you know, putting their foot down and saying, we're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to be pushed over. And I think that was 92 or 93. It was definitely one of those two years. And then. That went away pretty quickly because the Yankees, by '94, were no longer a laughing stock. '94, they were the they were the best team in the American League when the strike hit. So, um, you can have Buck back maybe at the end of this year. Well, didn't we have a caller? I think you were on the show with me. Yes, we had a caller that that this was I want to say about a month and a half ago. Okay, yeah, you remember this? That called and said, "Would you trade Buck for Boone?" And we both laughed him off the the air. <laughs> who but was that? Do you remember who that was? I I, can't, I don't know who who it was to give credit, but 
we both laughed at him, and lo I, and behold, he's right. I don't think it's that bad of an idea, to be honest with you. Like well, now, you're, you're, now then, I mean, seriously, if you're a Yankee, I, I said at the time, Steve Cohen wouldn't do that in a million years. No, the Mets would immediately turn the trade down then and now. But I, I've been wondering, Yankee fans, would you want Buck back? Would that change a lot of the discourse around this team right now? Yes. Is if Buck is the, the man in charge? I think that would change some of the discourse from the fan base right now if the Yankees got Buck, Buck back. Yes. I but don't think that is enough. Cause not like it's enough. That's not, I mean, Yankee fans, yes, they don't like Boone, but that's not whose head they're calling for on a stake. I mean, the thing is this. The the reason the Yankees are in the position they're in, it's, you know, it's, it's cliche, but it, it starts at the top with the owner, and then it goes immediately to the guy who the owner pays to make the big decisions. So that's where you have to look. And while... Many of his decisions over 25 years have panned out, and they have led to 21 playoff seasons, or 20 playoff seasons in his first 24 years. Five world championships? Four world championships, excuse me. Trips to the World Series. Look, those are the positives of Brian Cashman's tenure. I know Yankee fans are loath to give him any credit for 98, 99, and 2000, but that's also not fair. But for the most part, what the Yankees have been during his tenure is a playoff team virtually every year. So he's made a lot of good decisions. But if you just take it the last six or seven years, you have to be honest with what this franchise has become. And a lot of those decisions have not worked out. And that number increases year after year after year. And it's kind of gotten to a point this year where they're in a spot that they haven't been in in a very, very long time. Because the other thing, if you want to keep making the comparison between these Yankees of 2023 to the 1992 Yankees, the last time the Yankees had a losing record, that Yankee team was on its way up, hence Twisted Sister. That team was on its way up. They were already on their way back from bottoming out as the worst team in Major League Baseball. This Yankees team arguably could be worse next year. Because Stanton's going to be a year older. So is LeMahieu. So is Rizzo. And you still have to pay all of those guys. Your starting rotation next year is Cole, Rodon, hopefully Cortez, and Clark Schmidt, and then whoever else. And you don't really have Volpe is good. He's fine. For a 21-year-old starting shortstop, I think Volpe's going to be a better-than-average everyday player. But outside of Volpe, who is the Yankee prospect that you are excited about? Nobody. So this Yankees team is on its way down. The last time they finished under 500, they were on their way up. And with that, we go back to the phones. Let's go to Tommy in Connecticut. Hey, Tommy. Hey, what's going on, Pat? How you doing, man? So just talking about – trades and, and the Yankees going forward. So uh, Joe would have to confirm. I'm not sure if he was working this weekend when uh, there was these two callers in a row that suggested trading Cole now. Oh, I was and working. I, yep. I, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, my <laughs> now, head almost exploded. Was that on Larry's show? 
That was uh, with Anita on Saturday morning. Oh, or Saturday oh afternoon. I, Sorry. I almost, like, drove off the side of the road. I, I can't believe it. It's just there's, like, two people that are untradeable. It's Judge and Cole. And actually, I just wanted to bring it up because he made a fantastic play in center field. Whoever thought that the, the best part of the uh, Gary Sanchez for Donaldson and Kiner Falefa trade was going to be IKF being able to play just about every position on the field. He has been the best part of that trade, and unfortunately not at the position they intended him to play last year. Or or the position they intended Donaldson to play. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. That was never good, the Donaldson part of that. But uh, no, the guy's been a trooper. Guy, I, you know, it's you, you got to find you got to find bright spots somewhere. Well, you shouldn't have to, Tommy. And thanks for the call. You, you know, I know people think that you're arrogant when you say this, but for that amount of money, two hundred eighty-one million dollar payroll this year, for that amount of money, you really shouldn't be in a position on August twenty-eighth trying to find bright spots. You really shouldn't. Now, I'm not saying you have to win the World Series every year. It's a good thing I'm not saying that because they don't win the World Series every year. They haven't done it in going on 14 years. They haven't gotten there in going on 14 years. But the Yankees are different from teams that have gotten to the top or close to the top in recent years, like the Kansas City Royals, like Cleveland, like the Chicago Cubs. Those teams peaked, and then especially in the case of the Royals and the Cleveland franchise, you can't sustain those players on your roster when it is time for them to get paid. But the Yankees' advantage always was that they can. That's how they were able to bring up a core in 93-94 that won the World Series in 96, and they were able to keep those guys on their roster all the way through their careers, and they continued winning and winning and winning. The Yankees shouldn't the coal trade, the Yankees shouldn't have to trade coal to unload his salary. The Yankees should be able to pay coal, which is why the Alonzo thing, it's confusing to me. What you want in Major League Baseball in any sport, and this is why the Mets broke down their team this year so they could replenish their farm system. But what you want in any sport is you want to draft somebody, develop that player, have him come up with the big club and perform to the point where you sign him to his second contract. That's what Alonzo is. So the fact that Alonzo's a homegrown Met, I think he's better than anybody could have imagined. He's one of the best power hitters in Major League Baseball and now a little more than a year from being eligible for free agency. It sounds, if you read places like USA Today with Bob Nightingale, who's very plugged in. If you read him, it sounds like it's almost a foregone conclusion that Pete Alonso is going to be traded in the offseason, which is just mind-boggling to me because why trade him? Unless it's, unless it's to get such a haul back to continue to refortify your farm system. But at some point, you have to pay the players who you develop who have proven that they can produce on the major league level. You know, I I get trading Verlander, he's 40 years old. I get trading Scherzer, he's 39 years old. Pete Alonso should be playing at this same level for the next five years. 
He's not at the end of his rope. Now, he's older than you might think. He is. He'll be turning 30 years old at the end of next season, 2024, just as he hits free agency. But when you look at Olsen with Atlanta is on an eight-year contract paying him $21 million through the age of 35. And Freeman, we mentioned this before, right before I got popcorn stuck in my throat and had to go to commercial. Freeman is on a contract for $27 million a year over six years. That takes him through age 37. Alonzo should feel that I mean, well, here, let me. He he wants more. Obviously, everybody wants more, but I think it's more than reasonable for Alonzo to feel like he can swim in those waters as far as what sort of contracts those guys are on. As Aaron Judge hits a solo home run to left field to give the Yankees a two nothing lead. What number is that for him? Is that twenty nine? Yep. But that that's what developing. And, and stocking your minor league system is supposed to result in guys like Pete Alonso. You know, the Yankees are hoping they have that with Anthony Volpe. Guy's been the best right-handed power hitter in baseball for the last four years. Those are the guys you should want to keep, especially if you're the New York Mets with the owner who has the deepest pockets in baseball. You know, you're not the A's when Olsen, for example— is coming up on a contract, and you know you're not going to be able to pay him, so you've got to trade him off. This is the New York Mets. Let's go back to the phones. Kyle in West Orange. Hey, Kyle. Hey, guys. How you doing? Um, enjoying the show. And as a Yankee fan, uh, you hit the – and I remember that caller talking about trade uh, Boone for, uh, for uh, Buck. And, look, I love Buck. When Buck, was, when Buck came into the Yankees, he's a product – of of Billy Martin, and he was he got this team going, and they were they were on the up time, but they really weren't the team then. The Yankees didn't turn around until '96, '95. They go to the playoffs, they lose to Seattle. That was a great game, great great series, but they got into the wild card. '96, Doc Gooden pitches the no hitter. You understand? After that, kind of changed everything. A little excitement came into the building, and it wasn't just because of the core four. It was because of the, 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 the veterans that they had, Cecil Fielder. They had Wade Boggs, and then they were able to get Tino, and they were able to get guys like that. They also had O'Neill there, and then Bernie was there. Derek then was doing his job as a rookie. They were, and everybody was talking about Tony Fernandez, but, but it was Joe Torre that said, we're going to keep him. Cashman has to go back to that. And if, if they're dealing in analytics, then we got a problem because I don't, really like how this team looks with the analytics thing. Leave it to Boston. Let's do what the Yankees do best. Think about that. We talk about these young players. The last pitcher that we had come from our farm team that did something was Andy Pettit. Severino, down. That's that's it. That's it, guys. Andy Pettit. Well, so Sever- we Severino, did, Severino did something. Severino was Severino, a sign no, He was hot, and they paid him more money. Come on, guys. No. Don't know. I've watched these teams. You want to talk about getting guys? Go get this guy cash. See what he's doing. Go get the what? What is the what is the uh, the um, the the general manager or the scouts of the St. Louis Cardinals doing? Go get those guys. Those guys are always in it. Don't worry about what the Cardinals are doing now. We 
Let's just see what happens next Hi, year. Let me let me jump Let's in. Let me jump in for one second here. Let me jump in, and thanks for the call. You're you're listen. I, I I get it. You're you're a little all over the map. Cardinals Cardinals aren't good this year, so I don't know if that's the best example. The Kevin Cash example, yes. I and I think I said this earlier. Every time the Yankees play the Rays, Cash seems to manage circles around Aaron Boone, but the Yankees' problems aren't starting with Aaron Boone. Has Boone made the team better? No. Has Boone put his imprint on this team in a positive way? No. But the problems don't start with him. So when you're talking about changing things, they have to change from ownership. And obviously ownership itself isn't going to change, but the mindset of the ownership has to change. You know, you keep going back to Hal Steinbrenner saying you shouldn't need to spend $300 million to win a World Series. Well, unfortunately, if you're the Yankees, you do. Because the Yankees have always been, and $300 million, it's all relative, but the Yankees have always won by outspending everybody else. That's it. I mean, the Yankees have won 27 World Series championships. Up until every one that they won before 1977 was because they had an expansive scouting department. They were a brand name. They were the most famous franchise in the country, and they pretty much could sign anyone they wanted. And then Major League Baseball instituted a draft in the 1960s, and the Yankees, once they couldn't sign anyone they wanted, fell into a 12-year period that was pretty much the, up until that point, worst in franchise history. And then came the advent of free agency, another advantage for the Yankees because they were in the largest market. And by then, mid-70s, they had an owner, George Steinbrenner, who was willing to spend money and invested it in the team. And look, we know the whole Steinbrenner, George Steinbrenner tenure. There were hits and there were misses, but the early years were really, really good because of that. And that from that point on, 77 they won, 78 they won, and then the five World Series championships they won in the 90s and the 2000s, they were able to win those because they outspent everybody. They were. The only time they were ever able to develop from within was that group that won in 1996. But even then, they were able, that last caller made a good point. He mentioned the names, Daryl Strawberry, Cecil Fielder, uh, Tim Raines, um, Tino Martinez, the Yankees, Charlie Hayes, Wade Boggs. The Yankees had a young core of the Derek Jeters and the Bernie Williams and the Andy Pettits, but they were also able to trade for David Cohn. They were also able to sign Jimmy Key. They made a great trade for Paul O'Neill. And you can't do that. You can't do both of those areas if you're not able to spend money. Okay? And the Yankees have always had that advantage. So to bring it back to Hal Steinbrenner, when he says you shouldn't have to spend $300 million to win a World Series, unfortunately, because the Yankees have really never won a World Series when they had to build it from the bottom up. Never. Ever. They've never had to do it. So they haven't done it, so they don't know how to do it. So the only way that they know how to win is by spending more money than everyone else. And if they are serious about contending next year and getting out of this malaise that we've been witnessing this year, then they're going to have to really open up the wallets this offseason just to make up for some financial mistakes that have gone wrong. 
the last couple of years. They're now leading 3 nothing. Glaber Torres had hit a home run right after Aaron Judge, so they went back-to-back. Severino's still out there working on a shutout in the bottom of the seventh inning as he pitches his last few starts, we think, in a New York Yankees uniform. It's Pat O'Keefe here on 98.7 ESPN New York. He stinks! You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. There's no easy way out for the Yankees. Next year, it's next year? Next year, they're already on the hook for $189 million in salary. Judge Cole... Stanton, Rodon, Rizzo, LeMayhew. They have a $6 million buyout that's owed to Josh Donaldson. That deal keeps getting better. And they owe Tommy Canely almost $6 million next year. So they're at $189 million, and that doesn't even include Glaber Torres, who can go to arbitration, Clay Holmes, Jonathan Lewisica, Kyle Higashioka, Nestor Cortez, Michael King. This is what I mean. Are you going to hold it to a $220 million payroll? Because if you are, you're not going to be competitive. The only way to be competitive is to spend above and beyond what you're even spending this year. And that's why they're in such a tough spot, because the owner's saying, well, I'm already spending the second most in all of Major League Baseball. You're right, but you can't just look at it in a vacuum. You have to look at it. You've spent that money, but it has not been spent wisely. So you have two choices. You can wait for those bad contracts to run out, and in some cases they don't until like 2026 when LeMahieu is still on the books for $15 million a year, when Stanton is still on the books for $32 million a year. Are you really going to ride this out until 2026 with a farm system that doesn't really seem like it's going to produce much? Or are you going to just bite the bullet one offseason and then spend a ton of money like the Yankees did after 2008. And then, of course, you have to hope and pray that you spend it on the right guys, which lately the Yankees have not done. And that is the way that you get out of this cycle that the team is in right now. one 800 talking Yankees and Mets as well. Let's go back to the phones. Muhammad on Long Island. Hey, Muhammad. What's going on, Pat? Thanks for taking my call, man. Loving the show, loving the energy. Thank you. Um, you, 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 you touched on the on the Pete Alonso thing, man. And if they trade Pete, I might have to strike for a season. So you said this guy, I guess Bob Nightingale wrote the, the article. So I wanted you to just like, could you expand on what his perspective or what even yours? What would be the potential benefit for trading Pete Alonso? I mean, like he's the one bright spot we have on his team after. McNeil fell off a cliff with the batting title and Marte got hurt, and we haven't heard from him since, you know, in last season. I mean, Lindor's been – I don't have too much of a beef with Lindor, but, I mean, with Pete being the bright well, – just give me your perspective or, or even the guy Vibe Nightingale. Well, his – the premise of his story, Mohammed, was that he had spoken with about a half dozen GMs throughout Major League Baseball, and – According to those conversations, the consensus among other front offices in baseball is that the Mets are going to trade Alonzo. So now to answer the other part of your question, why would they do that? The reason they would do that is because Alonzo's going to want a lot of money. You know, Alonzo didn't come up to the majors when he was 20, 21 years old. He was a little bit older. He's going to be 30, much like Aaron Judge was last year. He's going to be 30 by the time he hits free agency, and this is going to be his one mega contract. And do the Mets want to overpay 
like the Yankees had to with Aaron Judge. Let's be honest. The Yankees, Judge is fantastic. Get another home run tonight. He's going to have 35 home runs this season despite missing 50 games. But the Yankees overpaid because they have to. Alonzo's not Aaron Judge. As good as he is, he's not Aaron Judge. He's the closest thing the Mets have to Aaron Judge, but he's not Aaron Judge. So by trading him, to me, and this is my hope, my hope is they're trading him in the best interests of the franchise, which I don't necessarily agree that it is. But if you trade him now because you don't want to pay him the kind of money that he's going to want, you can get something back for him as he enters the final year of his contract next season. You can fetch a lot for Pete Alonzo. 40 home run guy, 120 RBI guy, plays every single day. So if the Mets internally don't think that they want to sign him. Look, they, they've been negotiating for months, and they haven't been able to come to anything near an agreement on a contract extension. So the Mets know what kind of deal Alonzo wants, and they clearly don't seem to be willing to pay him that right now. So if they don't think they're going to get there, you get something for him this offseason. I hope it's not. Now, there's this whole... You know, every day there's different stories about discord in the locker room. Max Scherzer was asked about it today, had to answer for it today. And, you know, you're starting to hear more and more Alonzo's name popping up as one of the people in that locker room who doesn't seem to be able to get along with others. Now, is that, you know, a PR campaign, a smear campaign against Alonzo preparing for what the Mets have already determined they're going to do in the offseason. I come down on it like this. First of all, how bad can the guy be in the locker room? I mean, there really there seem to be a lot of, and Scherzer mentioned this too, a lot of anonymous quotes in that Mets locker room. A lot of them. Talking about their teammates, talking about opponents. All right? What I look at it is this. Alonzo is what you want from your farm system. You want to develop somebody and bring him along through your system, and he continues to work his way up to the majors. And when given the shot, which he was his rookie year in 2019, and he hit 53 home runs as a rookie and has been one of the best right-handed sluggers in all of Major League Baseball since then, and you produced him. He came up through your system. That's what minor league systems are for, to produce people like Pete Alonzo. So to give up on him before he hits free agency, that would be a tough pill to swallow for a Mets fan. Now, playing devil's advocate and looking at the other side of this argument, there does come a point where it's too much money. You know, like I said, Freeman is making $27 million a year for six years. Freddie Freeman is a better ball player than Alonzo. So is Olsen who's making $21 million a year for eight years. But what if Alonzo wants eight years and $30 million a year? Well, then the Mets, that's probably too much. I mean, why should Alonzo make $30 million over eight and Freddie Freeman makes $27 million over six? So the Mets, I could see in that scenario saying, no, we're out. Let's get something for this guy this year. But it's just a shame because... That's, I mean, look at this Mets roster. Nimmo, yes, okay, very good player. Came up through their system as well. But Alonzo's the crown jewel for what this Mets farm system has produced. The crown jewel. 
Back with more of your calls and questions on this on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Well, they're, they're dropping like flies. And this is what bothers me about the Mets. And this is why you have to have a plan and know what you're doing. They trade for Francisco Lindor. And then opening day three years ago, they signed him to that unbelievable contract that the moment it was signed, you knew it wasn't going to age well. And Lindor's been a good player. He had a really good year last year. His first year was rough. And this year was up and down. He's been a good player. Plays every day, fields his position, but he's not worth the money that he makes. And you knew that was going to be the case. So now you've signed him to that contract. You can't get out of that. So now it's going to cost you Pete Alonso, somebody who you developed, who's been a Met his entire career, and who's actually a better player? Yeah, I see that, Joe. Thank you. He could be 30-30 this year. Congratulations. Anthony Volpe's going to be 20-20. What's his batting average? What's his on-base percentage? He plays every day. He's got the launch angle. He's not worth that money. The Mets do have one advantage, it's, it, and it comes back to money all the time. The Mets have an advantage that they can. I liked the strategy of what they did with Scherzer, what they did with Verlander. You just can't pin all of your hopes on that. Signing them to shorter deals, higher average annual value. Because the last thing any team wants, and this is what the Yankees are going to find in two years, they're already finding it now, and it's only going to get worse. The last thing you want is a 37-year-old making $32 million who can't run to first base. Or a 37-year-old who used to be a batting champion who now has an OPS in the 600s, making $15 million a year. That's the last thing you want. That's the danger of these long-term contracts. Cohen has so much money. He signed Scherzer three years, $43 million a year. Verlander, two years, $43 million a year. That's it. Quick, easy, done. But you have to find the right guys. You know, Scherzer was great until he wasn't. He ran out of gas at the end of last season in the Brave series, in the playoffs. Verlander, he got hurt but was really good once he started pitching every five days this year. But he's old. That's why he got hurt. You've got to find the right guys. There's got to be a sweet spot between signing somebody to a long-term contract that's going to age poorly and having to rely on signing 40-year-old players to shorter contracts with very high average annual value. And that is the, the Mets can sign any kind of contract they want. They can sign long-term deals. They can sign short-term deals worth a lot more money per year. They have the most financial flexibility because they have the most money. They've just got to figure out a plan. They're all over the place. You know, it was spend, 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 and it came, it looked so easy last year. Scherzer was great. DeGrom was great. Alonzo, Lindor last year had the best offensive season for a Mets shortstop. You signed Marte, and he was great. Jeff McNeil was the batting champ. It was 101 wins. Buck Showalter, the Midas touch. It was great. And then you found out this year that it's not as easy as it looked last year. And now they've completely changed their philosophy. It's no longer spend, 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 to the point where they're actually considering trading the cornerstone or one of the cornerstones of their franchise, their most productive player over the last five years, who also happens to be 
a homegrown Met. Let's go to Sue B in Midtown. Hey, Sue B. Hey, Pat. I think the best example for the Mets and any team would be like the Boston Red Sox, what they did with Mookie Betts, trading him to the Dodgers and getting not equal return, but they got Verdugo. So I think the Mets have to be creative with Alonzo. If they feel like he would be like a David Ortiz type, then you would keep him. Otherwise, you have to find a team who has been in the doldrums like uh, the Blue Jays who may not make the playoffs. So you can sort of get equal value and young talent from a team that has potential players young enough to make a difference on the Mets next year. So I think the Blue Jays are one opportunity and maybe the San Francisco Giants, you know, teams that are on the cusp who are willing to get rid of young up-and-coming players. And I think those teams I mentioned are good enough. I think the template you can follow is the Red Sox for the past 10 years because they're the last dynasty that did it the right way except for instead of the Astros. So I think template to follow uh, would be the Boston Red Sox. That's all I got to say. Supi, thanks for the call. But the Boston Red Sox completely screwed up the Mookie Betts situation. They traded Betts because they were afraid of what they would have to pay him, and they tried to get as much back. It's actually very similar. So from that respect, yes, what the Mets are potentially dealing with in Alonzo, a year from free agency, and you know you don't want to pay him, try to get as much as you can. And that did not work out for the Red Sox. Yeah, Verdugo's a nice player, and he's been a starting outfielder for the last few years. But outside of that, they did not get even close to equal value for Mookie Betts, who's only gotten better. And he came into Fenway Park this weekend and rubbed their noses in it all weekend long. That's the situation the Mets find Alonzo in. What the Red Sox should have done with Mookie Betts is paid him. Because you know who they're paying that same money to right now? Rafael Devers. Because two years later, the landscape of Major League Baseball finances changed dramatically. And all of a sudden, the contract that Mookie was asking for in 2018 didn't seem so exorbitant in 2021. Yankees might actually get a win tonight. We'll talk more about that and some NBA thoughts next on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.